Welcome to Archetypes and the Planets, where Andre Carr and I, Bea Gonzalez, invite you to think metaphorically as we explore how we have collectively translated the map of the sky into our mythologies, religious systems, and personal psychology. All right, so today we are going to take on Mercury, or like I like to call him, Hermes. Uh, and I wanted to start with a story that is really super important for the development of human consciousness. So if, if you just bear with me, because I think it has a lot to do with, with how the archetypal Mercury uh, behaves. And mm -hmm. this all starts with the concept or an idea that uh, that is held that we are somehow evolving. Our consciousness is somehow evolving. And that while everything that is around us is important for that evolution, I think Mercury, this 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 archetypal concept of the human mind, of, of, with which Mercury is aligned, is really really important. And I just want to go back to the Egyptians. The ancient Egyptians had some form of astrology. We're not quite sure what it looked like because, of course, the records are not as good as later. But there was more magic involved in that Egyptian worldview than there was once the Greeks in the fifth century BCE jump in. And they codify and they quantify and all this wonderful stuff that has allowed us to measure. But they kind of lost a little bit of the Greek uh, or the Egyptian magi uh, magic, magical tradition, which connected them more to the unconscious, if you can imagine it that way. So it's almost like, think about it this way. Uh, in about the 500 BC, the conscious mind comes really fully online. And we start developing a whole bunch of things that are really, I think, mercurial, right? Like uh, mathematics, like philosophy, things that are codified in a way that they weren't up to that time. But around, if you fast forward to one of my favorite periods of history, and that is the first century AD in Alexandria, where you had this mixture of all these people, and Ptolemy uh, was there doing his writing, and Plotinus, and a lot of the people that actually started articulating some of the precepts that are used or some of the concepts that are used with astrology. Uh, but they, they, they looked... Uh, they, they were uh, obsessed with the figure of Hermes Trismegistus, all right? And Hermes Trismegistus, or thrice blessed, which is what Trismegistus means, um, they had a series of writings that went underground for many, many centuries afterwards. In other words, they were held in different parts of the world, but not the West, because as you know, the West sort of fell apart once the Roman Empire fell apart. What's interesting is that, and I think this is one of the best stories, honestly, in history, and I wish somebody would put this to a movie, 15th century, Cosimo de' Medici in Florence has basically started translating through Marcello Ficino, who is, by the way, an astrologer, but also a priest and a philosopher and many things. He starts translating uh, from the Greek to the Latin, all these lost works of Plato and Aristotle, etc., um, because they had been in monasteries. And what this, with Cosimo de' Medici, who was basically a very wealthy banker, okay, and by the way, banking ruled by Mercury, so it's kind of interesting that it's all mixed in, he had a book scout who went to all the monasteries where all these scrolls were, were hiding, and he was looking for books to translate. When Constantinople fell in the mid-15th century, all of those documents that belonged to the uh, Eastern Church, the Eastern Christian Church, they're basically taken out um, in, in the middle of the night, so to speak, by monks who bring them to places like Macedonia. And this monk who is a scout for Cosa de Medici finds what he thinks is the mother road. He finds the Corpus Hermeticum, which is this secret um, book that was written by the supposed Hermes, Hermes Trismegistus. He gallops back to, to Florence with this, with this manuscript. And Cosimo de Medici, by this point, is 74. He knows he's going to die. He really wants to know what's in that book. So he just tells Marcello Ficino, stop translating Plato. I want you to translate this. I need to know before I die what this has to say. All right, so the Corpus Hermeticum is important because alchemists used it, and alchemy is very much related to astrology for the next two centuries. What threw everybody off is that it was thought to be written by Hermes Trismegistus, was considered uh, a person who lived around the time of Moses. So he's this Egyptian, this mysterious magician who has, it kind of reminds me of all the people that have sort of um, gone through gone through the world of uh, acting like the magicians, Alistair Coley, all these people that have been around, you know? This one they thought, was the, the 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 person holding on to all these mysterious magical uh, Egyptian ideas? But about 1606, it was determined that in fact this could not have been from that period. It, it had to be from the first century AD from Alexandria, and this kind of threw everything off. Everybody said, "Oh, well, then it's all a fake." It's amazing how um, even though it was the first century AD, which is going back pretty a fair bit, 
people just could not live with it. And then um, this is the moment when uh, science starts to become on the ascendancy. And what happens uh, is that, of course, at the same time, alchemy gets denigrated. So if you go back to the corpus semeticum, why is this important? It's important because the corpus, uh, if, if you look at Mercury, and maybe maybe you don't look at it this way, but the way I look at Mercury is it's the translator of the gods. It's a translator from the unconscious to the conscious. So you can be a great dream interpreter, but you're not going to, you can do it by painting. Yeah, you can dance it. But generally what we do is we take whatever is in the unconscious and we translate it. And I think this is one of the reasons Mercury or Hermes rules uh, translation. You know, you need mm -hmm. to have a pretty strong Mercury to be able to do that. So that's that's one of the stories that's aligned with Mercury. It's the one that I like the best, and I'll tell you why. It, it, in the ancients thought the Mercury joyed in the first house, because it's almost like this is the most human of all the planets. And the thing that distinguishes us from, as far as we know, from other animals is that we can communicate on a level that most other animals don't seem to be able to communicate. Maybe we haven't figured it out, but it doesn't look like it. And so to me, Mercury, without Mercury, you're not really going to get the human story out at all. Because in the beginning, as the Bible says, was the word, right? And the word is most definitely aligned with Mercury. I'll let, I'll let, I have more, but I'll let you take over and see what you think about what I've just said right now. Yeah, no, that, that's, a, that's a, uh, a very interesting story. And, and yes, the Mercury as the translator makes perfect sense. It's uh, you know the logic of language itself and and how you can create this system of sounds and and you know that they make words that can be incredibly different in different languages. So if you're listening to a language you're not familiar with, the people are saying sounds to each other and they seem to understand each other perfectly and you don't know what they're saying at all. But that culture can take those those sounds, those words, transmit them to uh, to their descendants. I mean, it, it can go across hundreds of years and accumulate knowledge. In other words, Mercury as the carrier of data, which is huge. Yeah, because of course, I mean, can you imagine if if animals could could uh, store their experiences and pass it on to their ancestors? They'd be out to get us by now because they would have figured out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we're pretty easy to get because we're pretty foolish. Look I what humans are doing. I mean, <laughs> you know, when you're you're born as a baby, you have no idea what's going on. You rely on the fact that the humans that are taking care of you, their experience, but plus, 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 like much, much, much more, you know, including right, right. all the way to, you name it, modern medicine. So Mercury as the translator, including when you brought up banking, there, I, I see it more as the, the trading system, not the banking itself, not necessarily the money, but the idea of the exchange, which is why Mercury also gets linked to business as in, you know, the horse trading that goes on, yeah. which is basically a communication thing. So I give you yeah. this, you give yeah. me that. And then the notion that people with good Mercuries can become very slippery, which is, you know, that's Mercury itself is a very slippery substance and use their verbal talents to manipulate and all the way into the level that Mercury is often also seen as a thief, literally yes, someone that can absolutely. steal someone from yeah. something from yeah, you. Yeah. So all those things are in play. And then you can start going down all kinds of cul-de-sacs around what a person's Mercury is doing in the chart, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, that's, that's essentially uh, going back to the, the uh, Hermes as the, yes. this is where once again, you, you, people sometimes think, especially critics of astrology will say, well, this just cannot be true, this mythical thing. How can you assign behavior to these mythical symbols? Well, you can because it works. Yeah, <laughs> because, it's true. because through observation, I mean, using yeah. the very criteria that they use to quantify all sorts of things for scientific inquiry, we're using the same thing. We're observing over many millennia. This is not just, this is, didn't show up yesterday. It's been around for a long time in all sorts of cultures. To your, to your point, though, that's really interesting about the exchange. You're right. It is the exchange of information. Do you know, I, I, I once saw this incredible um, documentary on the history of writing, and they make the point that writing started out as tallies, people just recording how much bushels of wheat they, they traded for whatever. This is the basis of the word. It wasn't great poetry that was suddenly decided. It was because we had to keep a log of what I gave you and you gave me in exchange. So in fact, the word is actually tied also with, and it's very fundamental 
beginnings with exchange of goods that we need for each other. But yeah, it's not the actual coin. It is the record of what we're doing as an exchange with each other. Now, on the issue of the thief, that's really interesting because let's look at that. Before I get into the the, uh, the general Greco um, or the Greek understanding of what this character is up to, because the, the whole notion of him being a thief is very much part of the story. Uh, but but he's a thief, not he's not like a crass robber that goes in and, you know, uh, and destroys a house and gets whatever they can get. This is an intellectual. This is a clever thief. He's trying to outwit people. And I think that's a very different thing from the, the way that we generally understand thieves. But um, let's talk about it astronomically. Mercury is really interesting. It's the fastest planet. So it's like you get the idea of speed, right, from, mm-hmm. from the whole idea of, uh, of Mercury. Uh, you also get the idea it's very close to the sun. It has to be the translator of the sun because it can't move more than 27 degrees away from the sun. If it does, it starts going retrograde. And, and so it's always very close to the sun, right? We can't, we can't have one without the other. In fact, what you get often in a chart is you get a person who has the sun and Mercury in the same place because, because it can't get too far from it. Um, and the, the other thing that the ancients observed, which is really interesting, is the, the notion of heliacal rising, that Mercury, because it is so close to the sun, is hard to see in the sky, right? You can't see it that easily. But there are moments in time and you and I both have the step of Mercury. When the sun, Mercury is just emerging after being in, in the shade of the sun and the, in the, uh, being obscured by the sun's light, they took great note of that. They said that people who had a, a sun that or Mercury that just came into view after have been obscured for quite a bit of time, so it's called the heliacal ri- rising or the heliacal rest, uh, setting, would have strong Mercuries. They'd have strong communication skills because it's almost like it's announcing itself. It's saying, yes, here I am. Whereas most of the time, Mercury is overshadowed by the, by the by the light of the sun and made combust. So that's always interesting too, from the perspective of light. What what is your take on the astronomical side or the astronomy side of uh, Mercury? Anything that jumps out at you about its behavior? Oh well, of course, the retrograde periods are very important with Mercury as well, right? Uh, three retrograde periods a year for twenty one days or twenty two days. So it's one of the planets that most consistently appears to be going backwards from the perspective of us on Earth. Of course, it's not, but our perspective makes it look like that. Anyway, let, let, let you jump in. Yeah, well, yeah, well, so first of all, astronomically, the fact that it's next to the sun, you know, it's the, it's the physical reality that is the planet between everything else and the sun. So it's not surprising that it would be the, the messenger of the sun, so right. to speak. So then you can then, you know, safely speculate that if a person's being, core, purpose, all these big meanings that, that are assigned to the sun, rightfully so, they do have to channel through Mercury. So your ability to then communicate it, speak it, translate it, you know, into your life yes. becomes huge. It makes Mercury hugely important. You know, a question. Now you said it's not necessarily going to be a how did you word it? Terrible thief, or what was the thing? Because you said oh, it's, a, it's a sophisticated thief. I don't think it's okay. one of these grab, crash and grab and, and ca- uh, so grab the cash and run. I think it's much more sophisticated. Well, that. yeah, except that the only thing would be that that you can get a very sophisticated thief as well, because once you start getting Mercury tied into the planets, like say Neptune, for instance, and uh, or whatever it is, Pluto, yeah. you name it, uh, the, and and if the person's nature is uh, leans corrupt, Mercury can be incredibly expert at twisting and turning. And because a lot of it is, is basically language and how you frame things. And sure. it becomes the place of illusions, literally. Uh, I mean, because really in the end, it's it, language is sounds, concepts, and then the person on the other end hears what they want to hear often. You know, they're not necessarily hearing what is really happening. So uh, all of that is in play. But yeah, absolutely, Mercury as the. Uh, uh, you know, next to the sun, and in- incredibly critical in a person's you could call life success because if that planet is not translating well, things just will not work. Not only that, the other thing that at first eluded me because I thought, well, it's a mental planet, and so it's mind and it's communication and it's thought. It also uh, uh, creeps into literal uh, coordination of your nervous system. So a lot often great athletes have really good mercuries because they, they literally translate the energy so that it affects their movement. And you can see literal talent in someone's coordination, which has nothing to do with, in that sense, with actual language, you're coordinating the nerves, which you wouldn't expect because you would think, well, that has to be a more of a Mars thing, but it, but it actually uh, operates in that way as well. So it's a, 
super important planet. Uh, Could it be that that's because isn't uh, Mercury, maybe I'm wrong about this, tied to, of course, the two mutable signs, Gemini and Virgo. Is ambidextrous, uh, is, is that not tied to Gemini in, in particular, which is ruled by uh, uh, Mercury? It, it, it is. So the but concept usually- of... It, it, it well, for example, you could you could uh, yes, okay. So, for example, one thing that that you said that triggered because I was kind of thinking, what why is Mercury? What's the to me the Mercury Gemini is the most obvious as pure data. You're collecting information that's Gemini. When Virgo is a little more elusive unless you realize what you said that Virgo is involved often in agriculture and and things you plant and and kind of indirectly food although maybe maybe indirectly because the idea of vegetables is Virgo. And so if you were trading, and typically the thing you would always trade for is food. <laughs> so right. that if well, you, at the beginning, yes, practice, absolutely. I gave you right. this much and you owe me this much and things like that. Yes. Or even the idea yes. that uh, even your cows and your pigs are probably connected to Virgo again, possibly, right? Maybe Virgo cancer, but point is you could bring in uh, yeah. Mercury that way as well. But yeah, Gemini, you're right, because Gemini, if you think about it, Gemini is the third sign. The third sign is the place where you move around. The idea of running and walking is Gemini, third house. So then doing it well or doing it expertly in some way, which you might think, well, no, all running is the same. No, it's not exactly the same. Moving fast, that's a skill, right? And and, and often you notice that uh, people are born in a certain way that way. You can be born more more coordinated or less. In fact, I think that may be the secret to the people that are world-class athletes are born with genetics that are better coordinated. They simply have a, a, a level already that they work from, and then they can build from there. So right. all of that is mercurial, which you wouldn't necessarily suspect, uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's uh, super important. So let's look at the actual Greek myth, because it's kind of funny. One of the, the things that it, it associates again more or aligns more with, I think, the mercury that rules Gemini, not the one the rules Virgo um, is that it's always a it's a it's basically Hermes or Mercury in the Greek story is a baby, but he's a really smart baby and he's one of Zeus's uh, children and he's got an older brother Apollo the son and he's always creating problems for for Apollo's son you know but he's like I can imagine like uh, you know there used to be this comic strip that nobody will remember anymore called Dennis the Menace uh, this little kid that's going around creating havoc everywhere. This is basically Mercury. And one of the stories that, that the famous stories about him and Apollo is he steals his cattle. He steals his older brother's cattle because he's kind of resentful of the older brother. He's the, he shines. He's the sun, right? Zeus really likes him. But um, and the way he steals him, this is how smart he is. And this is why I love the idea of the thief as an intelligent thief. He makes the cattle. He leads the cattle backwards so that they can't find the footprints going the other way. And then he, inv- he invents these sandals. Like, this is a baby, okay? He invents these sandals for himself that make him invisible. And so, but, you know, somebody sees it because it's the gods, right? And he's reported to Zeus, at which point Apollo, you know, claims innocence or whatever. Now, I thought about this story today, and I thought, interesting, right? He takes the cattle backwards. I wonder, a lot of Greek myth is actually teaching people basic astronomy. And I wonder if that's not a clue to tell you, by the way, this planet goes backwards on a regular basis, because it just occurred to me today, why have that little detail? Why this particular story? In any case, he ends up, he was always forgiven because he's quite charming in Mrs. Camp. And that's, if you think about the Gemini kind of quality of the youthfulness, they get away with stuff, right? Because it can be quite charming, even if they're annoying and they're getting away with all sorts of murderous crimes. Of This is not murderous, it's more just I'm stealing again. Um, so he he this is one of the many stories, but constantly he's trying to pull one over, and especially his older brother Apollo, who he has you know a difficult relationship uh, with. But the other thing about him is the swiftness. There's a swiftness about Mercury that I think does speak to the 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 speed of the planet, right? That maybe again is telling you something about it. And we often talk about people who are quick. Uh, as being really intelligent. They may not be, but they're just able to process on a level that is, and this again speaks to the coordination because by the way, when you talk about coordination and uh, athletes, you need mind-body coordination to be able to get athlete. Like what do they say about Messi? What do they say about Wayne Gretzky? Both of them could see things before they're actually happening. That means that they're processing on a level and, and there's, there's, there's something else. Uh, you know, the old story, the genius um, aims at targets that no one else can see. If Mercury is the only god in the Greek pantheon that is allowed to go regularly into the underworld and retrieve information and bring it back, 
He's translating mm-hmm. stuff that nobody else can see. So again, I can see where your idea of an athlete having to have that kind of coordination that not only goes to the body, but now is actually bringing in a whole bunch of stuff that most people have no access to, you know, absolutely at all. Now, when he, what's interesting about Mercury is once he steals the cattle, he uh, takes a couple of them. You know, there's two always involved in the, the Mercury rules, two double body signs and, you know, the mutability, the changeability. But he basically um, uh, lights a match and, and, and cooks these two and then breaks them up into 12 pieces and gives it to each of the gods a piece, including himself. And one of the ideas about Mercury, to me, is that it's translating information from all angles. In other words, it has something to say for everybody. It's interacting and the one, the vehicle by which everything goes through to communicate to to others. And by the way, communication, you know, it's not only words, you can communicate in many different ways. It's not, you Mm -hmm. know, I I think symbolically we communicate as well. We communicate with hands, people, you know, who don't speak. There's so many ways that you can communicate. I don't want to, I don't want to leave it to, to, to one of those things. But in the Greek pantheon, he's considered a thief, a magician, because he can transform things, make them something else. And something that we, and I think this aligns very much to Virgo, a craftsman. He crafts a wonderful liar, right, for Apollo to to appease Apollo, because Apollo's, you know, basically, you know, ticked off beyond belief. And so appeases him by giving him something, you know, Apollo's god of music. So it's like, oh, here, here, I'll craft this for you. So that's another interesting thing, because... um, it's again invoking sometimes a craftsperson again with hands coordination involves all those little skills skill set that maybe not other um, of the archetypes or the other gods don't have. So that's something we haven't talked about uh, as well um, that you could do. What, what do you think of all that? Yeah, well, so a couple of things. One is that um, Mercury, if you if you assign it to Gemini, Gemini is a, a more of a plus sign, an outward sign. Yes. It yeah. stereorizes where Virgo is more, more receptive, Feminine, yeah. internal. So that could that would explain why the Gemini is is pure more purely outward. You know, it's always the, all these statements, by the way, yes. relate to the broad principle. I mean, a person could be Gemini and for other reasons in the chart, uh, manifest more of the a more internalized energy. So it's not always. Uh, going to work uh, as expected, so to speak. Uh, but in terms of the pure principle, Mercury and Virgo, if you think about it, connected to the sixth house, sixth sign, and it's the mind in a way turned inward, which is why Virgos become more hypochondriac. What, what starts to happen is there's self-evaluation. You're communicating with your own inner processes, and then you start to kind of go, oh, something's going on in here. And you know, typically... What you're, you you assess first is I'm eating, I'm feeling a certain thing. You can just see where the path goes to hypochondria pretty quickly or yes. <laughs> just really good self-analysis, self-regulation, 6,000, right. self-correction, all the things that would be really useful unless they become, you know, they go off the rails and you're doing it too much, like always happens. But all of this, you think about it too, is Mercury as those few bits of consciousness that we have because most of what we're doing is unconscious nearly everything and then there are seven eight nine ten bits you're looking around to see what's going on and you try to make sense of it which again is very mercurial that that's the mercury as the conduit to the conscious mind i don't think it's uh, mercury alone i think saturn has a lot to do with this as well in a certain way but the in, in the sense of just when you think of the ordinary mind looking around to see what's going on that's definitely mercury and the contrast there between the more external or you know extroverted Mercury, which is the Gemini principle, and Virgo as the more you know self-critical. For example, whenever you yes. hear about Virgos get all self-critical, that's in a way Mercury running amok. And yet it likes to be in Virgo because it does it well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Place that, it's exalted in Virgo. It's actually it's, it's, both in domicile and exalted. So there's something about the Virgo. I think it's because it knows how to be tidy. It knows how to keep things in its right organized form. I always think of Virgo as a as the classifier, right? They know how to classify yes. things, and so mm-hmm. I, I associate Virgo more than any sign with the scientists. The idea that they can, although I know Saturn's involved, it is the idea that they are able to logically classify things without letting Pisces kind of mess, messiness in the way. They know how to distinguish and differentiate. I think differentiation is a really big word for Mercury. That the one thing we have to learn how to do, and I think we're seeing this phenomenon 
really rise up in the last, you know, six, seven years is to distinguish with between what is logically factually true from what is not true. And so what we're speaking about right now is the metaphorical language and it has many interpretations, right? But there is a type of knowledge that's out there, fact, that cannot be disputed. It is, it is in fact. And yet what has happened, I think, over the last seven years is the muddying of the mind to such a point that what is fact is now turned into um, metaphorical when it's not, or turn into whatever you want to turn it right, into. Right. So a yeah. good discriminating mind knows, no, this is BS. I understand this to be absolutely, uh, now nothing is ever rock solid, science changes, blah, blah, blah. But there's some things we can be pretty sure are, are actually true. And there's some things that we know for sure are not. And, and I think that's the power of, of the mind. What's interesting to me is, um, you know, if you think of the Heisenberg principle, the idea that the mind is cannot be separated from the observer. So the observer, you, what you're observing the world with is the very mind. Is So it's kind of hard, right, to be able to get some distance on it. But I was thinking that in terms of uh, when, when you do meditate or when you do anything that watches the mind, that you really are too. And we go back to the duality that is absolutely inscribed in both Mercury and Virgo, but especially Mercury, you are one and two. So in other words, there is a part of you that can observe what the mind's up to. And this is actually a key to, to right. sanity, in my view, right? That you actually right. deploy a part of the mind to watch itself. So what you just said, which is so true about the hypochondria, that can be very much part of the Virgoian over-analysis, paralysis, you know, overdoing it. If you can invoke the same power to watch over itself and detach, then mm -hmm. this is great, right? That we haven't yeah. been too good at it, I don't think. And I don't think we've taught people how to do this. But in fact, the solution the, the, the sickness and the solution are probably part and parcel of the same thing if you know how to use them properly, because that one's using the higher mind to be able to say, okay, stop, stop going off in these crazy, crazy directions. But, yeah. but I do think that it does have, even though we generally, you know, we have the, the myth seems to resemble more the Mercury story, the Gemini story of the youth, who's, you know, at one point, I mean, you know, he, he, he's such a scamp that he manages to steal Susan's Thunderbolts. He, bought, he robs Athena of her helmet for a while. He even actually borrows Aphrodite's girdle. I mean, and, and that actually speaks to something else that's really interesting for me about Mercury. It's the only planet that is not assigned a feminine or masculine designation. It's androgynous. It can be either or, and mm -hmm. it takes on the sect light of whatever your sect light is. So in other words, if you're a day chart, then Mercury is going to be a day planet if you're a night. So that's interesting too, in the way it's able to be mutable and change and malleable, which I think the mind is as well too. You know, there are a lot of, lots of things like your bones. You're not going to, you're not going to change your bones a lot. You can do whatever you want, but it's, it's going to be hard, right? You can build mm -hmm. muscle, but you can't build the bone, but, but the mind can be changed. It can be flexible. It can be made a lot more malleable. Um, but I, I think the stories about, uh, about his stealing everything. is just, it's hysterical. He's constantly doing that. And I wonder when I think about this in a metaphorical level, if it's because it needs all those other things to be able to express a wider variety of experience, right? So it, without the the thunderbolts, the the ingeniousness of the Jupiter kind of bolt of lightning that you get the inspiration, uh, without uh, the helmet, I guess the helmet could refer to containment in some way. Um, Mercury can't express all the uh, human story. It is limited to just a portion of it. It always is going to be limited, but I wonder if that is part of what the story might be telling us as well. Well, it, it, it could be, you could say that's one aspect. So if I steal thunderbolts, if I steal, it's, it's like I'm using these different things to express something. You could also say that maybe it's just practicing because the way you keep, <laughs> the way, the way you're, you, you keep your dexterity is you just try things. And it, it's a, like a little bit, like if you think about pickpocket, that has a quality of mercury to it, but how do you get become a good pickpocket? You have to, you know, do it to the point where all of those people that play with cards and they can fool you through. It's, by the way, it's uh, when you think of someone who's, you know, those uh, card tricksters. That's mercurial because uh, Gemini in the hands are, you know, the the idea. Yes. Of, which, by the way, that's another. You think about how much that brings it into the human realm. The, if you want to say the human realm features communication, sure, but without without the opposable thumb, you know, the idea that your hands became the, the, the critical uh, factor in, in evolution in a lot of ways, right? We, if you take that away, you've got a huge problem, right? How, how do you solve that problem? So all of that, uh, it moves into the, into the Mercury domain and makes it, yeah, makes it a critical planet, uh, you know, for all kinds of reasons. I mean, uh, the one thing though, that is that, uh, that I would add to though is that the rule that is out there, you often read that Mercury 
takes on, like in any chart, look to the planets that it connects to. You want to get the story of what that person's conduit is, the communication, you know, whether it's, is it Saturn, is it Pluto? Like case in point, Einstein, he figured out from the astrology perspective, as I understand it, why he, one of the reasons he, he was this macro genius. He had the moon in Sagittarius out of bounds. So he pictures a big principle but then why is he able to put it to math? Because he had Mercury conjunct Saturn, right? right. And that's really critical yes. that he's able to <clears throat> measure through using Saturn in a very right. specific, clear way. Here's the data of something that is very difficult to pin down, right? Oh, so yeah, both yeah. are working together, but it's because Mercury is linked to Saturn. It gives him a seriousness, a scientist's approach right. and so forth. And the other thing too that comes to mind is if you look at where it is in the polarity, uh, the Virgo Polarity is to Pisces and Gemini is to Sagittarius. On both ends, you get Jupiter yep, and, ne- Jupiter. and Neptune in one sense. And so when you think of corruption, made up stuff, it's the Neptune and the, even the Jupiter running amok because Jupiter yeah, yeah. is known to exaggerate. It'll say, well, this is like this, yeah, yeah. but really yes. it's a lot smaller. And Neptune will just make it up, you know, right, it's right. completely uh, false. It doesn't exist at all. And it corrupts the Mercury in that. Uh, then you're not getting the actual truth. And when you brought up the meditation part, that's the Virgo Pisces axis more than any other axis for sure. So the logic is that the meditation pure part where you're in, you know, you're completely immersed in some kind of peaceful realm or pure awareness realm, then the Virgo is able to, in a sense, concretize it. First of all, it can help you get there in the, in the sense that many meditations or many, many meditation instructions they will tell you, focus on the detail of your experience. Mm-hmm. That's Virgo. And the detail takes you into the Large into the world. deeper realm. Yeah. And then those two things are working together. If you just say, well, I, 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 there's this deep realm and, and you know, I get into it and you can't even explain it, that would mean that the Virgo part is weak generally, right? The two of them together uh, uh, make it work better. Right. Polarity is really important. I was just going to say that in the traditional sense, of course, Pisces and Sagittarius are both ruled by Jupiter, and you're right, the Jupiter tends to make everything too large and almost unwielding. It, it brings up the concept also that there are many types of Mercury. So let's let's look at Mercury and Pisces. If you look, I mean, that is a, a Mercury that is imprecise, right? It's poetic, it's metaphoric. If you look at some of our best writers, they have Mercury and Pisces. One of them like, that comes off my top of my head is Gabriel Garcia Marquez, a winner of the 92 uh, Nobel Prize for Literature, uh, uh, Maya Angelou, the poet. Why? Because I think the Piscean realm is one where the, all these poetic images lie. It's more of an imaginal realm, more of a poetic. And it does actually not need, it does not need precise language. One of the things that was famous about the, uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez uh, is that he would have sentences that were run on for 10 pages without without a period. And I loved it. I mean, the Spanish... Isn't that a Mercury Pisces? The Spanish Academy of... The Real Academy of Española de Letras, or so the Royal Academy of Spanish Letters, took him and, and you know berated this Nobel Prize winner, saying, you're not following the rules. And it's like, are you yeah. kidding? I make my own rules because I am an artist, right? And it's one of my favorite stories about a Mercury and Pisces. Just a question on the Einstein chart. Do you remember where that Mercury-Saturn... Uh, what sign that Mercury Saturn conjunction happened? Was it in Aquarius or was it in uh, Pisces? Because he was a Pisces, so no, he was Aries. able to see. Oh, Aries. Okay, so he was really Aries. forward-looking. Okay, Aries, which which I mean, it could be the Aries to me. Uh, I've heard different interpretations, but one is the yeah, the, the a sense that you're pioneering, but you you also have to think about this person. I mean, were they really were they really thinking I'm pioneering something? No, Maybe no, but I actually think that Aries there. Part of the part of what's going on with Aries, Aries is a very physical sign. It's it's mm-hmm. the most raw physical energy. And I think for someone like Einstein, he was a master of the physicality of the universe. He was actually a, a, a brilliant theoretical physicist, really. That's right. what he was. Yes. yes. So when you say physics, physics is is matter. It's like the yeah, logic yeah. of how do how do the all this matter moving around the universe? What is it doing? Oh yeah, it's making these indentations and in this thing that is space time blah blah so all of that is in a way very physical so to me having it in aries would be it would be an advantage right, if it was right, pisces right. 
I think he would have been lost in space if you put. Yes, he was. <laughs> he was already a little bit lost in space. All those pictures of him sort of. He was a Pisces, so he's able. He he was able to conceptualize yes. in dream world something that most people couldn't. It's funny when I think of the the mercurial type of character, I think more of a Robin Williams, who was a Gemini, a classical Gemini with an incredible quick mind, just an incredible ability to come up with the right. Uh, the, the right phrase, almost mat- maniac like level, you know, ability to do that. And then I always point people to a character in Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet. There's a, uh, a character called Mercutio, which immediately well. tells you that's talking about Mercury, right? Uh, so, Mercutio, that's Mercutio, funny. yes. Well, I mean, uh, you know, Shakespeare knew a lot about, uh, about there's a fantastic book called Shakespeare and the Stars written by an, uh, uh, a Canadian astrologer, Priscilla Costello, which, which, who examines how many references there are to astrology within Shakespeare's work. And Mercutio, if you want to get to know him, and all kids have to end up you know, studying Roman and Juliet, what's great about him is he's incredibly verbally dexterous. He's really witty. He's, he's, he's dynamic. He's exactly what you imagine a Mercury-type person. And I, I always... Um, I think of characters, I try to think, I think of Hamlet as someone who has a lot of Mercury in him as well, because his ability to communicate is just so off the charts, right? And also the duality, to be or not to be, you know, he's always he's always going back and forth, you know, what do I do? Do I act? Do I not act? If, that, if you'd been an Aries, you would have, you know, killed the, 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 the uncle in two seconds flat, but because he had to think about it, you have this Mercury thing of, I must... I must convince myself by talking for four hours straight in this play. And then at the end of it, you know, I'll end up killing him. Not because I'm convinced, but just the circumstances happen that way. But yeah, in general, I think of the of the more classical Mercury type as a very quick thinker and very witty. I think of it as a very witty kind of uh, person that is able to to think a little bit ahead of of where where the other person is. And and again, I think of this 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 the fact that it, it resembles the planet. The, part of what I think we're discussing is that there seems to be, and this comes from the the most important thing I think thought in astral in the whole of the astrological world. It comes from this, let's let's do the full circle and go back to the Corpus Hermeticum. The most famous line in the Corpus Hermeticum is as above, so below. Mm-hmm. That what we're talking about is a universe that is connected in ways we haven't devised the proper laws for, but that it's animated. This is what Richard Harness talks about, that somehow at some point we killed the universe and said it's dead, dead matter, and we're all just going to die and there's no meaning and just forget the whole thing. But I think the astrological worldview is, no, this isn't a live universe. It's animated, it's vibrant, it's it's evolving in some way. Um, and that we are part of the, the story, that we're um, through our own charts and our own knowledge of our own psyches, trying to bring a part of it online. And that, so everybody has meaning because you are part of the story and without you, we can't have the full story. And so it gives it a, a, a bigger sense, but it comes directly from that document that whatever's happening above is happening below. And there's just, they're mirror images of each other. And that the way to understand what's happening below, and you read the signs that are, so put it this way, the way to understand yourself, because the ancients had a very well-developed idea of, of psychology as well. It wasn't articulated the way we do, but they had an idea. The way to understand you, you is to look at your chart and say what clues is the corresponding world the moment in time that i was born in what clues is is it giving me so that i can understand how to function right and then you can add well by the 18th century we had enough conscious evolution that we saw planets that were always there but we were too stupid or did not have the measuring techniques to see before so it's almost like well then the psyche as a collective entity is now able to incorporate something that it was not able to incorporate before. And then you look around, you go, well, what else was happening? Well, you know, a lot of things are happening in terms of inventions. And that's where we start assigning the meaning of a planet to what that, what was going on in the time that it was first sighted. But the thing is, it was always there. It's just, we, our eyes were not prepared to see what was always there. And so one of the things I've been playing around with the new novel I'm working on is what else are we not seeing? Right? Yeah. What else is out there? Do you know what I mean? Because it could be we can wake up one day and go, you know, this planet nine, this this mysterious planet nine everybody's talking about. We don't know of one day, you know, well, we're we're you know, it I, could happen. Something something shows up and it's like, I oh, mean, okay. If you want to alter world history, this would be a great that if you realize, I mean, think about planet nine, right? And think yeah. about the fact that uh every planet they keep finding, then they name it something problematic right i mean yes. here is all due respect <laughs> I, I can i can see where you can make you know yes. you can, we can you can make some headway there are things there that i think can be worked out in years too as is the case with all planets but 
you're kind of going, geez, like the goddess of this core. I mean, come on. <laughs> yes, so, so then you think like planet nine. Imagine if you could travel to the future and uh, instead of you're going to change something, you decide the way I'm going to change this is I'm going to, I'm going to figure out a way to influence the astronomer that discovers planet nine, yes. name it something really <laughs> amazingly beautiful. Like, I don't know. <laughs> the problem is every, every beautiful thing has a shadow side. So we're still going to bump into it, but well, I yeah. agree that. Yeah. But, but I, I mean, mean Uranus and Pluto, I mean, Hades, Jesus, it's where, still, where do I mean, you want to go with that? I mean, come on. Imagine if you, for example, uh, I guess the, the backside of, of, uh, uh, say a Jesus figure or a Buddha figure would be maybe some kind of indulgence, but you're still doing a lot better by yes, if you name it Buddha, that's, that's a lot better than calling it like <laughs> I mean, what if you call it Satan? Are you really in trouble, right? So, <laughs> yes, yes. so you you literally alter the whole course of history because by the logic of what humans have done, they discover something, they name it, and the thing behaves exactly as expected. Right. Right. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It, so, it, it's it's really interesting, you know, just because this is actually quite relevant because we're talking about naming and Gemini Mercury. Yes. Not Gemini correct, Mercury in correct. itself names things, right? It gives names to correct. things. Correct. And uh, somebody was commenting that, oh, you know, Neptune is the one that's you know beyond Uranus, which Richard Tarnas has posited that it has more to do with Prometheus. Okay, you can argue because there are very few stories of Uranus. But with Neptune, it's interesting. Someone noted, well, why they? I mean, Neptune makes no sense. Why would you have named it Neptune? There's there's no correspondence except the sea. And I would argue against it because there's one story and all you need is one story, right? Like Iris has one story that is that, that, that basically reshapes the world, which is she's involved in the very event that kicks off the most devastating war in the ancient world, which is the Trojan War. So she's, she's pretty special, right? Because that one act is going to basically determine the fate of humanity at that point. Neptune is interesting. People forget there is a story about Neptune. And I think it actually naming it, again, the synchronicity of naming it exactly what it means. Neptune is often associated with the unconscious. And there's a story mm -hmm. about Neptune. You know, we've all heard about Medusa. You know, she turns men to stone. It's the idea that we are confronted with something that is so great that we can't assimilate it. So we fall apart and turn to stone and get uh... She becomes Medusa because she's raped by Neptune, Poseidon, in Athena's oh. temple. And so there is a rape. And if you think about what Neptune is, right, and the unconscious, the unconscious can metaphorically rape the conscious mind sometimes by mm -hmm. releasing information that the conscious mind is not ready to receive. Not, and so to me, you only need to know that one story to understand where the danger is, because there is a bit of a rainbows and uh, bunnies thing about Neptune, which isn't true my own experience, and I don't know of yours. But my own experience is it can be a killer in its own way, right? It just gets you in a different way. And that the, the way it does is by introducing things into the psyche that you are not prepared to receive. And it feels like a violation. And, you know, it, it, that's why it's assigned, uh, associated so much with madness as well. That yes. if you are not ready for it, you are going to be thrown off your feet. So I don't think there's any misnaming of anything. Even Uranus, you can say the castration that occurs with Uranus, which, by the way, leads to the birth of Aphrodite in the water. Castration is exactly what Uranus feels like. It comes in and it basically, whatever you've had up to now gets basically torn away in a very violent act. Um, yes. and, and so it has, yes, I can see the Prometheus connection, but I do think there is a wonderful synchronicity in naming. And if you go oh, yes. back to no, the, uh, in the beginning of yes. the word, then yeah. No, a hundred percent. I mean, that, that's, that's the part that so insults scientists because yes. it's, a, it's really no different than, by the way, no different than, People can get great information from tarot cards. They start, or even I, I remember this this person way back in my own life. He used just an ordinary deck of cards, just to basically what they were the cards were doing. They were they were triggering his subconscious in some way, yes. and he said some really crazy things that happened 15 years later. According to you know, so there's a synchronicity there. Now, am I advocating for that system? No, not necessarily. I'm merely pointing out that there is a synchronicity involved and yes a hundred percent the irony is that the scientists themselves you know this is the the crazy irony <laughs> who named pluto pluto was named by 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 the daughter of the grandfather of a site you know some there's a, all these threads to scientists these are scientists people that yes. are looking through telescopes and oh, i don't want don't tell me that uh jupiter means this or saturn means that i'm not interested in that i just want to know where it is and measure yes. it and, and then i'll give it, it a name well the nearest right. the nearest one is particularly funny because it's mike brown right who who dethrones happily dethrones pluto and says oh i killed pluto and i'm, I'm not sorry about it he writes a book about this but what's interesting about it is that uh he, his original name for it was cena 
for the warrior uh, princess. It was some show that was on at the turn of, you know, like the beginning of the 2000s. And and then he they said, well, you can't name it Xena. It doesn't fall into any. So then he picks out of the, out of, you know, he looks at it and goes, oh, Eurus seems to me to be a, an appropriate kind of counterpart. Uh, right. Yeah, she's a female warrior, but she's one hell of a destructive force in some ways, but has a positive side too. And that's the other thing we have to talk about, that in every archetypal story, there is a shadow and then there's the light. Uh, there are things, there are reasons we need to go through some pretty dark times because you can't get the light until you go through that dark period. So it's not just one, but I, I, but I do think it is hysterical that uh, names are chosen unconsciously. But then I wonder, yeah, this is exactly the corpus hermeticum, as above, so below. You are choosing a name because you're almost being guided to name yes. it exactly correct. what it needs, you know? Correct, and so, correct, yeah. yeah. But, but yeah. of course, you can't convince anybody. But first of all, we are speaking a metaphorical much more archetypal language that is not, you know, you're not going to precisely measure it and counter it. We're not going to be Virgos. We're not going to, you can't do that with that. You have to go into the Pisces realm to a certain degree, degree, which is still connecting. It's a very deep realm that connects to larger truths, right? It's just that the Virgo, which is where we're stuck as a society, I think, right? Can't deal with it. It's like, I don't, you've got to give me proof. And it's like, okay, well, the proof is what you see around you. And the proof also is if you work with this language, and, and this is, I think you've probably encountered this. The problem fundamentally with this whole conversation is that to have an intelligent conversation, you can't have it with too many people because they would have had to study it for years and years and years yes. before they even make sense to, to me. You know, most of what's out there is, it's quite silly. You yeah. do need a bit of life experience and a bit of time to be able to have let these things ferment. And you're not going to have an argument. I see this all the time, astrologers taking on scientists who have no idea about the, the language. And then it becomes a crazy show. It's like, well, why are you even bothering? This is not, it's not about convincing anyone. It's entering into a type of thinking that mm -hmm. is not really culturally sanctioned at this moment in time. But, you know, someone who, who, uh, who likes to write novels, to me, it just seems logical. It's a poetic language and it makes sense. Okay, well, well next, next time we should look at Venus and the order of the planets, which is a completely different kind of uh, energy altogether. But I think we did a pretty good job with those two, I think, uh, or with those two. There's only one. <laughs> yeah, I'm already, you know, I'm already saying it's two, but I, one. Yeah. Just a couple of things that yes. came to mind when you were saying all that uh, to uh, possibly, uh, you know, not summarize per se, but that I thought are interesting in the, so because the synchronicity is the idea that you see something and you correlate it to the time. And that's in fact astrology. When you're doing astrology, yes. what you're doing is you're saying, well, what just happened? Where are the planets? What does it link to? So I had an experience about, I don't know, 25 years ago that I, you know, I'm I'm in a, I'm in this situation, and all at once I got a flash about why the tropical system signs work better than the Vedic signs and a major lesson. And Mercury, okay. I was in a, I knew that I was in a meditation class, a Sufi meditation group, you know, we're all doing chanting, whatever it was, it varied depending on the day, etc. And I knew the moon was very, very late in Taurus, right? right? Super late. And then I also knew that right after the meditation ended, coincidentally, synchronistically, whatever, you make up the word, it was going to change the Gemini, mm -hmm. right after. And by the way, avoid moon. I can't remember what the quality of meditation was, but void moons are typically said to be good for meditation because the moon is drifting and so forth. So it's, you're kind of in an open space. Then it switched to Gemini and everyone is sitting, you know, emerging from the meditation space. Some tea is brought into the room. And the next thing you know, totally unprovoked, or if there was a provocation, I don't know what it was, people started talking about their names and naming and why do people t take on a certain name? And I know this person who named themselves this and that. And I thought immediately, well, that's the Gemini moon, right? Yes. Yep. 100%. Yes. And it also told me, well, if the moon were still in Taurus, which it would be in the Vedic system, they're not going to be talking names. They're going to be talking about money, finance, resources, yes. agriculture. Food. I don't know. There are a thousand yeah. topics. So that's one thing that to me, for me personally, yes. I, I felt like I was being, I was getting a message from somewhere saying, Hey, you were asking a question about which system works better. Look at this, right? Yes. The second thing that, uh, that went from what you were saying about this polarity of the conscious subconscious, when you think about it, uh, the meditation axis as Virgo Pisces, logically the Pisces side is the subconscious. It's the deep right. realm and Virgo is the conscious realm. And really to make really good progress in a realm like that, you need both ends. If you're just 
on one end or the other, it won't work very well. The, the conscious running amok will become hypochondriac, excessively yes. analytical. It's because you're bringing in that polarity of going back and forth. Yeah. But uh, in, in the where Virgo is really important in the Mercury realm, uh, the Mercury rulership is the idea of intelligent self-consciousness, like you're being conscious of yourself and doing self-adjustment. And in a way, like I said earlier, a communication with yourself. That's the, to me, the, 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 the best way that Mercury can, can function. There are other ideas as well, but it explains that polarity really, really well, I think. That's so anyways, great, that, yeah. No, no, that's a great point. That's actually a great point. I think polarity is something that we always have to look at with each of the, uh, each of the planets. And then when we look at the signs more in depth as well, you can't have without the other, the opposing thing. So. Oh, and something else too that I was yeah. going to mention, but it slipped my mind. Uh, I'm convinced that the, the realm of sleep is the realm of Pisces for sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So then logically the polarity would be, you wake up at Virgo yes. in some sense, right? So it's the conscious subconscious polarity as right. that as well. And you can do really good work on yourself by understanding that polarity, the, yep. the notion of whether you're sleeping or meditating, you're entering the same realm. It's also the realm of the subconscious, but it's the conscious that even knows that such a thing exists or yeah. otherwise, uh, otherwise, like in a way, uh, you know, the, the, that's another fascinating discussion. You know, some of the doctors now who talk about things like uh, being awake may uh, maybe evolutionarily advantageous in some way, because you could be asleep and never be awake ever. Right. That would right. mean there would be only, only Pisces. And babies, as an example, sleep a lot more, and then they start to sleep less and less and less. And then by the time we're in old age, we have trouble sleeping. I was sleeping less. It goes the other way. Good Lord. No, yeah. no. It's a bad idea. Uh, on the issue of the Pisces Virgo, you know, just to just to build on that, <clears throat> that is what a creative writer does, for example. They have to go into the Pisces realm for the imaginal uh, story, but then mm. they have to translate it into something that makes sense, which is in the logical order, which is what the Virgo side does, right? Uh, Mercury right. obviously associated with writers, but the writer has to have an idea, right? I mean, you just can't sit there. And Virgo could be very dry and it could be good for a good scientific paper. But if you're actually trying to develop a story, the kind of stories people watch on Netflix, you need that other side. You need to go into that unconscious world where you're picking up threads, right? And, and but you also have to say that seems logical that to even get the ideas in the first place you were probably reading books which are mercury artifacts yes, i mean yes, a, a book is filled with all these these letters you're making sense of which are yes. totally mercurial your mind makes the picture and so a person who eventually gets great mythical ideas went through all kinds of mercurial work first to establish the framework otherwise i doubt that you'd put someone in the middle of a field and never taught them language and expect them to then create poetry, it's probably really unlikely. No, and it's unlikely, you're right. I yeah. mean, once the craft, I would say the craftsperson knows how to take those imagine because kids are always coming up with stories, but the craftsperson has read enough and seen enough to know how to then take those images and put it into something that is that is beautiful and accepted and, and appreciated by others. Absolutely. Okay, well, we'll, we'll leave it there for this moment. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, and then get, get to Venus the next time. Okay. All right, sounds good. All right, sounds good. Um. thanks for listening today if you want to hear more about all of this go to youtube where you will find andre's channel called astrology alert he posts videos there almost daily he also teaches classes through his patreon account you can find me at sophiacycles.com if you want to support my work i've recently released a new novel called invocation which you may find of interest go to my website to see a book trailer about it it's available in all fine bookstores, including Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Finally, if you like this podcast, please rate it and leave a review so that others will find it as well. <laughs>